I see eyeballs. Close your eyes. Now, with your eyes closed, I want you to tell me what you see. Just say something that you see out loud by raising your hand. Eli, what do you see? Darkness. You see darkness. That's right. Gage, what do you see? Pitch black. Pitch black. That's right. Savannah, what do you see? Dreams. I see dreams. Lucy, what do you see? Nothing. nothing. I see nothing. Okay. Now, carefully open one eye. Now open both eyes. Now, what do you see? Dad. You see dad. That's right. I'm here. That's right. Glasses. That's right. What do you see? Eli, what do you see? I see my feet. That's right. You do see my feet. That's right. Okay. I would like someone to come up here and help me. Um, I need a helper. Karsten, come on up. Okay, Karsten, I want you to hold up this. This is called frosted glass. And I want you to hold this frosted glass up. And I want you to look out here, okay? Hold it up. And I want you to look out and I want you to tell me what you see. It's all blurry. It's all blurry. It is all blurry. You know what? It's all blurry. When we are born, we are born in what the Bible calls sin. And sin blurries our vision. Carson, hold it up again. We can't see through the frosted glass. We can make images out. We see distortions. We think we see light in certain places, but we're not real sure and real confident. And when the gospel, kiddos, comes into our life, it is a truth that we believe about Jesus. But it's more than just a truth. The gospel clears away the frosted glass so that we're able to see the world more clearly. And so, Karsten, if I were to do, hold it up, what do you see? What do you see? Blurry. Blurry. If I were to do this, now what do you see? Do you see anything? You see people. You see Annie, and you see people, and you see them clearly, and they're not distorted, right? Do they look, do they look normal? It looks normal. The gospel, Karsten, clears away the frosted glass of our life. Our sin distorts our vision like this, and when we understand the gospel, slowly but surely we begin to see the world as it really is, not as sin has distorted it to be. Thank you very much. Great job. Let's give Karsten a hand. Good job, Karsten. One of the things that I really want you guys to know at our church is that you help adults understand the gospel because you believe. And when you believe in Jesus, he helps you see the world better. And he helps you have hope amidst the cynicism that your moms and dads have about the world. And so we need you, kiddos, boys and girls. We need you to help us remember that the gospel isn't just a creed we believe but it's a worldview through which we see everything else about creation. And isn't that good news? Friends, isn't that good news? Let's say it together. That's good news indeed. Glory to God. Children, God's peace be with you. And you should say, and also with you. Children, God's peace be with you. 
go forth to worship in peace and with our love. Kiddos, you guys can head to Trinity Kids. Or if you're older and you want to stay in worship with us, then please go find your mom and dad. Parents, remember that the gospel isn't just a creed we believe. It's more than that. It's a worldview through which we understand all of life. And so, in light of that, let's greet each other with peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. The peace of the Lord Jesus be with you always. And also with you. Let's stand for a moment and greet those who are around you. We are so glad that you're here. Welcome to Trinity. All right, if you are willing and able, if you would grab a Bible. And remember, if you want to continue your conversations, we would love to foster that after worship in the cafeteria where we can have coffee and donuts and fruit together. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn with me to Acts chapter 10. We're in a series called Finding God's Will. How do we know God's will for our life? Do we lay out a fleece? Do we listen for a voice? Do we look for a sign? How do we know what God's will is for our life? In our session, our church's leadership, our elders believe that there are three ways that you can use to help guarantee you that you'll know God's will for your life. And those three ways are what? Number one, Trinity exists to show that grace changes everything by equipping you to do three things. To rest and worship. What's the second one? Grow in community. And the third, rediscover your calling. We've looked at what it means to rest and worship. We've looked at what it means to grow in community. And today, we look at what it means to rediscover your calling. On September 11th, 2001, do you remember where you were? We all watched... Thousands of workers come down the World Trade Center stairs. And at the same moment, we saw this weird juxtaposition because hundreds of emergency responders were going up. And after 9-11, don't you remember when they would interview these firefighters, or if, or if you've been to the memorial in New York City, you've, you've seen these words. We called them national heroes, and rightly so. We called them men and women of incredible valor and courage, and rightly so. But when they would be interviewed, what would almost to a man and a woman, what would they say? 
they would say, we're not heroes. We just did our jobs. Now, the sound of that, we just did our jobs or just doing my job, ma'am, just doing my job, comes really easy to an emergency room surgeon or to a nurse on the front lines or to a parent of twins or to a young college student who has started an organization on their campus to make the campus more beautiful. It comes really easy to some people who have a very clear sense of calling. Their experience of calling is very gratifying and it moves them deeply. And today we are going to see in this text the rediscovery of a calling for both Israel, the unspoken player, the nation of Israel, the unspoken player in this text, and the Apostle Peter. And so before we start, I would like for you to turn to somebody and say to them, I have a calling. Let's turn to somebody again and let's say to them, I have a calling. Help me find it. Help me live it for his glory. Now, before we read the text, what is a calling? Let's define some terms. When I say calling, I don't mean your occupation. That's an over-secularization of the word. And when I say calling, I don't mean some vague notion of guidance or intuition. That's an over-spiritualization of calling. When I say calling, I mean what the Bible means by calling, which is the Bible speaks of calling in two distinct ways. Take Romans 1, for example. Romans 1.7 says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. That is the downward calling of our lives. It's the general call that Jesus extends to everyone so that they might believe in the gospel. It is the general calling. But then secondly, Paul calls us, or Jesus calls us to specific roles in specific places for his glory. So, for example, in Romans 1.1, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This was Paul's inward calling. It was specific to Paul. You read about it later when, um, uh, you know, for example, throughout the epistles, you'll, you'll see that individuals were, were called according to his purpose in a specific way for a specific time. Paul was called to be an apostle of the Lord, and he was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. A specific call, a specific place, a specific time. And as an apostle, he was called to reveal God's word to the nations. And when the twelve apostles died, Revelation closed, the canon was closed, and there was no more revelation of God to be distributed because it was contained in their writings that we now have in Scripture. So what do I mean by calling? I mean this. Your calling is the use of your abilities, your gifts, your skills, your talents, your passions, your desires, the things you want to do, and opportunities to promote the good of others for the glory of God. Your calling is the use of your abilities, your desires, and your opportunities to promote the good of others for the glory of God. A call is an ability, a desire, an opportunity from God, for God, that wells up within us, and that's confirmed by the Holy Spirit. 
through God's people. All right? No individualistic callings. It's confirmed through the people of God as they know you, pour into you, love you, see you, help you understand yourself better. Now, with that in mind, let's read Acts chapter 10. We're going to read verse 34 down through the end of the chapter. Would you be willing to stand with me if you're able? I'll read verse 34 and I'll stop at verse 43. This is God's word, friends. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in, country, in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Say it again. I have a calling. Help me find it. Help me live it. For his glory. Now, calling doesn't jump out at you in this text. It's the sermon of Peter to Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 10. The story of Cornelius is the longest story in the book of Acts. And Luke wants you to mark it in your mind. Because Luke is showing us so many different layers of what's happening in this text that we could spend an entire year just studying these 40 some odd verses together. Commentators say that this is the passage where Israel, now the nation of Israel, the people of God, begin to understand their calling as what God called them into being way back in Isaiah when he said you are to be a light to the nations. Do you remember the story of Israel? God called Abraham and he said, Abraham, you will be a light to the nations. You'll have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky and sands on the beach. And you will be a blessing to them. And so God rose up the nation of Israel. But still, they doubted God's call in their life. He gave them laws to make them distinct among the nations. And they haphazardly obeyed those laws. Some seasons with great fanfare and focus. And other seasons, they truly doubted him. They didn't know what his call was. And so God sent prophets to call them back to the commandments of the Lord. And to be his distinct people. But underneath all of that, all of that underneath was for Israel to be a light to the nations. And if you remember, what happens in Acts chapter 10 is that God lowers the barriers for Israel to be a light to the nations by saying, Israel, no longer are you bound by those dietary laws in Leviticus chapter 11, for example. No longer call what is 
clean, unclean. And he gave Peter a dream. You remember in the dream were all these animals that were traditionally deemed unclean by the nation of Israel. And Peter, the Lord says to Peter through an angel, through a dream, don't call clean or unclean what is clean. Rise up, kill and eat. In other words, the gospel is to go to the nations and you are not to restrict who's a part of my people because of their diet. And for Israel, this was a rediscovering of their calling. They knew it all along. But God was showing Israel that now is the time for you to live out this calling in this time and place, in the fullness of time, after Christ's ascension. It is to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, as Acts 1.8 says. And he is helping Israel understand this more and more by using his apostles to then spread the good news to all the nations. It makes sense? Do you see how this particular text, underneath it, though it's a story about the conversion of a centurion named Cornelius through the apostle Peter, is also a text about how Israel as a nation understands afresh their call to go to the Gentiles if they have ears to hear. And for Peter, this text is a clarion call for him to rediscover his own calling because, my gosh, Peter... If you read through the book of Acts, is this amazing, amazing man of courage. He's the one that jumps into the sea, isn't he? He's the one that says, Lord, I'll never deny you. And then he's the one Jesus first comes to to confront after his resurrection because he had denied him, of course, three times before he died. Jesus is this man full of courage. And if there is any man who has the ability to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, well, certainly it would be Peter. And yet we read that all of Peter's life, he struggled with his subtle racism might not be too strong of a word. He constantly distanced himself from the in-group, or from the outside group, so that the Jews would think highly of him. And God calls a young man named Paul to eventually be the apostle to the Gentiles, while Peter though well positioned to be the apostle to the Gentiles, after Acts chapter 12, focuses his ministry on the Jews. Now, what does all this teach us? This passage teaches us at least three things about calling. And by the way, um, when we think about calling, we rank what we mean by calling all the time by default, don't you? I mean, in every one of our jobs, there are people in your industry, in your work, who you may sense have a greater calling. If you're a dentist, it's the dentist who gives three weeks of his time to go to South America to do free dental work. If you're, if you're a lawyer, it's the one who does pro bono work to do expungements now that so many people beginning this month have been released from prison. If, if I mean, it even happens in the past, I mean, I feel this all the time as a pastor. Right, like you have different rankings. Like if you're if you're a if you're a um, if you're a country pastor, you know it's 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 um, it's a little outside the box. It's not it's not quite as 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 you know as big as being a suburban pastor. But but if you're a city pastor, no, no, that's the rough and tumble place of ministry. If you're a city pastor, you don't you know have to enjoy the comforts of suburban life. You're in the heart of the city. Now that's a calling. But even. The city pastors know that they're inferior, right, to the missionaries who leave the comforts of home to go internationally. 
And even international missionaries have rankings on who's really called. I mean, the, the international missionary that lives in Europe, I mean, give me a break. Is that a calling? What about the guy who's in Africa? And then even the guys who are in Africa have levels of calling, don't they? Because if you're a missionary, well, that's great. But if you're a Bible translator, mm, that's a calling. And if you're a Bible translator in the jungle, that's a calling. And if you're a Bible translator in the jungle without a church in a snake-infested hut, that is the pinnacle of all callings, right? Amen? We subtly believe that there are rankings in our callings, and I just want to give you permission to not believe that lie. Unless what you're doing is sinful or illegal. So prostitution and mafia hitmen are out. There is no moral superiority in any of our callings. Students, please hear this. Many of us look at ministers and say, if I was really a strong Christian, I would become that. But you should also look to the engineers in the room and say, if I was really a strong Christian, I would be a fantastic engineer for God's glory. There are no limits to what you can do as a Christian. And this passage teaches us some very practical things about it. Cornelius, for example, we don't know what happened to Cornelius after Acts chapter 10. I... I really want to know what happened. And I, the, um, I want to find a place in scripture that says he stayed in the Roman service forever and was just this amazing Christian leader in the Roman service as a centurion. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say anything about his life after Acts chapter 10. The Coptic church and the Roman Catholic church have a tradition, and I don't know where they get it from scripture. It is just a tradition. I've tried to trace it in the early church. I can't find it anywhere. So some of you might be able to help me if you're a Bible scholar. But... Cornelius was supposedly the one who was then tapped to be the bishop of Caesarea, which then just plays into this whole idea that there are higher callings than others. Because maybe Cornelius just stayed in the Roman service and did exactly what God wanted him to do his whole life. There are three things that this text teaches us about calling. First of all, number one, not only do you all have a call, but you may sense a call, but not be able to act on your calling right now. Some of you feel this tension. Israel received the call from Abraham to go and be a light to the nations, but it wasn't until thousands of years later when they were able to do that, when the structures of the known world were allowed, allowed transportation, and there were, there were countries, and there was a language, a lingua franca, a common language of Greek to be able to distribute the gospel to the nations to contribute it. You may have a sense of calling, but you may not yet be able to experience that calling right now. When I was, um, when I was a teenager, I'm going to break, just give me five minutes, it'll be important, I'm going to break my cardinal rule about preaching and say something that's not um, always self-deprecating. Uh, but when I was in high school, there was a, uh, in our garage apartment behind my parents' house, there was a woman who lived there for many years, and she had a friend's son stay with her. His name was Josh. And I was in high school, just driving. And I remember I pulled up, and it was the first time in my life when I realized how bad I wanted to be a dad. Because Josh was standing there in my parents' driveway waiting for me to get home from practice. And I remember that Josh gave me a gun back in 1996, a little toy gun. 
And I wrote myself a note back then because I knew I'd be a knucklehead and forget. And this little note says, this gun was given to you from a boy named Josh. He stayed with Leanne, this girl who lived in our garage apartment, for about a week. And when you introduced yourself to him, you immediately were drawn to him. Many times when you pulled up in the driveway, he'd be waiting for you on the back porch. You played basketball. You walked around the neighborhood with him. You walked Sadie, that was our dog, on the leash. You jumped on the trampoline together. You had a lot of fun doing little things with him. This gun is a reminder that you're never too busy to brighten a day for someone. That sounds hokey now. When you're older and married, show this to your wife and then go hug your kids and show this to them and tell them how important they are to you. Then take him outside and play. You're going to be an awesome dad. Go show him. Right? 1996. I longed to be a dad when I was in high school. Problem was, I couldn't become a dad for 10 more years. And if I'm honest with you, last night, my kids will attest to this, there were about 20 seconds when I didn't really want to be a dad. My kids were just playing together, doing practical jokes, goofing around in the living room. And it was awesome. It was like, this is awesome. But they were being loud. And I yelled at them. So the joke's on me. Sometimes, some of you have a real sense of calling that you want to do this, but you don't know how. And for some of us, you may sense a calling, but you can't act on it right now. Second thing you know about calling is you need to often be reminded about your calling. I'm a dad now, and I need to remember that. Live into what I so longed to be many, many years ago. The third thing that, at least in Peter's life, that we learn about calling here is that God's call in your life reduces the power of your circumstances. God's call on your life reduces the power of your circumstances. Now, what do I mean by that? The call to lead a life in service to God comes in a variety of social settings for us. Peter is surprised that he's not called to be the one that goes to the Gentiles. Paul in Acts chapter 12, Barnabas and Paul, they go to the Gentiles. And Peter still lives out his calling, goes back to Judea and Jerusalem and ministers there. For an illustration of this, think about um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, right? It's a messy church, like us. It's a messy church. And he gets to chapter 7, and he, he says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and into which God has called him. In 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5, 10 through 15, and on. And there's a really important principle I want us to hear that emerges out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Stay with me. I'm going to teach for just a second, so stay with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul gives us a very important principle that some of you need to hear. And the principle is stay unless and because. Stay unless and because. What do I mean? He says several times, he says, stay single unless your desires are unmanageable because it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Or he says in verse 12 to 16, stay married unless your unbelieving spouse wants to leave because no one knows if a pagan spouse will believe or not. Think about your own job. Some of you who are restless in your station in life. Your tendency is to say go 
unless they raise my salary, unless they change the context at work, unless they change the culture, because I deserve better. Maybe God is saying to you what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, stay where you are. Unless people around you and opportunities arise and your abilities and opportunities come together. Because God has set about the boundaries of your habitation. He called you to live here. And he called your employer to hire you, even though your employer may not be a Christian. He leadeth me. He leadeth me. Whatever I do, where'er I be, still God's hand. It is that leadeth me. So some of you who are in a crummy job, I just want to say a word to you. Some of you need to stay where you are. Unless you are confident by the counsel of God's people and by your desires and abilities and opportunities, give you the opportunity to leave for somewhere that you could better serve the Lord because he has called you there to bloom where you're planted for a time such as this. And can we switch our thinking from the grass is always greener at another firm or in another job and allow us to say maybe the Lord has called you into the context of your calling and you're too discontent to see it. This happens all the time in, in, uh, as, uh, as a pastor. You know, church planters are notorious for like getting to plant to a particular place and then going bailing out. The grass is never greener than where God has you, ever. We are just so discontent that we don't recognize the grass beneath our feet. So for some of you, you might need to change jobs. But for many of you, you don't. And irrespective of what your particular occupation is, your calling is deeper than that. It is not your occupation. Your calling goes with your occupations no matter how ever they change. My calling, personally, is to equip you to use your gifts for God's glory. That is as succinct as a calling as I can articulate for what I feel like God has called me to be. And it's been true for me every stage of my life. I want other people to get the credit. I want other people to use their gifts. I don't really care. I just want the vision of whatever we're doing to be what carries us along together. Use your gifts for God's glory. And I want to help equip you to do that, right? And if, if I was called out of ministry one day, I don't ever see that happening, pray it doesn't happen. But I would still do that, whatever I did. And so also you have a calling. How do you identify what that calling is? Practically speaking, when you're trying to identify your calling, you look for a match between your inward call, your desires, your wants, the things that you want to do, and your external call, what your employer will hire you to do. And when both of those come together, you have a call. Otherwise, you have the ability and the desire, but you don't have an opportunity. You have an aspiration, but you don't have a calling. Calling is more gritty than we think because it has to do with our present circumstances in our context now. Are you with me? So you look for a match between your inward call and your external call. What you desire to do and what your employer has hired you to do or would be willing to allow you to do. Secondly, how do you find a calling? You find a mentor. You find someone who will pour into you. Someone with whom you can have courageous vulnerability. And we try to create um, little 
small ecosystems of this in our community groups where you can pour into each other. And some of you who hear my voice, friends, you're called to be mentors to others and you're waiting for the right person to tap you on the shoulder and say, would you drop your nets and come follow me? Maybe you need to go disciple somebody else and say, hey, would you come to the grocery store with me? Would you come hang out with us at dinner? Would you just come hang out with our family? Would you just be part of our life? Would you share space and air with us? Would you, just, would you go to lunch with us after worship? Jump at the chance to get into each other's life. That's how you find who mentors are. And that's how you grow in your own gifts of mentoring others. And third, you discover your calling by trial and error. This is especially true for those of us who are in college. Guys, hear me for a second. Most of us are super busy on campus. High school guys, most of us are super busy with all of our activities. But you're at a phase where you're learning what your calling is, what your gifts and abilities are. And some of you are like amazingly gifted in ways you don't even know. And you're going to dis discover those gifts in your interaction in the local church. So, let me just give you some examples. Because everything that we do at Trinity, all the volunteer work, all the setup, is, is yes, we have to have worship, right? We have to have people to do that. And sometimes there's a grind to it. But a lot of times there's an opportunity for us to jump in and serve and figure out what we have gifts in by just jumping in and serving. And once we have a building one day, it's going to be the same dynamic and the same principle. Our culture is not going to change, even though we have a building and we're not putting chairs out every week. So, for example, there's regular general involvement. Some of you guys have talked about men's ministry stuff. It'd be awesome to do some of the stuff you've talked about. Try it. Let's get it going. Men's ministry. There's women's ministry involvement. Helping volunteer with the youth. Helping volunteer with Trinity Kids. Going to AM Discipleship. There's setup truck drivers. There's setup supervisor, which is a really big need, actually. Musicians, somebody to run the slides, somebody to help with greetings, somebody to stuff these green cards in the bulletin. Holy unto the Lord, right? Small though it may seem. There's the soundboard, there's offering collection, there's flowers for those who are grieving, there's, there's uh, helping Kim and Joanne and Trinity kids, there's Trinity House work days, there's random member work days at their house, and there's other kinds of opportunities to teach. Guys, there's, like, there's no end to the way we can teach. There's no end for the way we can be involved, and trial and error is often the way we find it. And some of us are called to ministries with, or callings that will put us very visibly out front, and some of us are called to callings that will help us remain in the comforts of the shadows. And both of those are beautiful. Would you say, I have a calling? Would you say that? I have a calling. Help me find it. Help me live it. For his glory. Now, look at how Peter described Jesus. Look down at verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened. Down in verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. That was his calling. Doing good. In a world gone bad. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. 
sometimes physically healing them, but ultimately conquering the devil at the cross. If sin and death, our great enemies, defeated, that was Jesus' calling for us. And in light of his calling for us, guys, he has instilled in us not just this kind of spiritual malaise, I go to church, gospel means something to me, but he is giving each of us a particular call. And we need each other to help discover what that gift is. Do you know what your call is unto the Lord? Would you be willing to learn it? And if so, would you allow the gospel, like we taught our children this morning, to become not just a set of propositions that you believe and then attend church and endorse on Sundays, but may it be a lens through which you, the way you view the world so that you see that your particular vocation, your, your occupation is in line with your calling and you're serving the Lord there, where you are, wherever you may be. Some of you know um, the name John Lezak. If you're a swimmer, you might know this name. John Lezak, was this, he's an amazing swimmer, but he's never won, a, never won a gold medal. He was always in the shadows of the U.S. Olympic team. And John Lezak was on the 4x100-meter uh, relay with Michael Phelps, a name, of course, we all know. Not Michael Phelps, our Mike Phelps, but the swimmer Michael Phelps, the other Mike Phelps at Trinity. And we know that in 2008, the 4x100 relay was against the best team in the world, France. And the guys jumped into the water and they swam. And John Lezak was the anchor to that 4x100 meter relay. And the dude had never won a gold medal individually. He had won one bronze medal for an individual performance. And when the race comes to John Lezak, on the final leg, the French are ahead by like six-tenths of a second, like half a body length or more. And the greatest swimmer, Alain Bernard, who is the anchor for the French team, jumps in the water before John Lezak, this guy who's never won a gold medal, jumps in. And everybody in the world watching the Olympics thinks the French have got it locked up. And as John Lezak begins to swim against Elaine Bernard, Elaine Bernard extends the lead by half a body length. So 50 yards in, it looks like it's going to be even worse than six-tenths of a second. And somehow, on the kickback end, John Lezak begins to chop down the lead of Elaine Bernard. And when they get to the very end, 20 yards, 10 yards, 5 yards, it gets so close that they touch the wall at what looks to be on TV the exact same time. And then they flash up the scores. And the Americans beat the French by like one hundredth of a second. And nobody remembers John Lezak's name. But Michael Phelps goes on to be the greatest gold medal winner in the history of the U.S. swimming, or the Olympics, certainly of swimming. And John Lezak there is in the background. And there's this great moment where Michael Phelps grabs John Lezak, the anchor swimmer who actually ran the swim the fastest 100 meters in world history, a dude who's never won a gold medal before. And Michael Phelps grabs these four guys together and grabs John and puts him up there because he says, listen, sometimes the support dudes need to get the spotlight. And John Lezak won this race for us. And there's a lot of ways, guys, that you serve in the shadows. And some of you are faithfully doing it. Please keep going. But one of the things we learn from Acts chapter 10 is that God is going to help us understand what his will is for our life by teaching us to rest and worship, 
to grow in community together and to help us rediscover our calling, just like he did for his own people, the nation of Israel, and as he did for Peter by going not to the Gentiles but to the Jews and preaching the gospel all of his life. Would you say, I have a calling? I have a calling. Help me find it. Help me live it for his glory. Jesus fulfilled his calling for you. He came to earth and died on the cross so that we might be able to find our calling not in our own strength, but through our union with Christ who gives us a new identity and a new name if we'll come to the end of ourselves and say, Christ, I know that I cannot understand myself unless I submit myself and I fall at the foot of the cross and say, redefine me, reshape me, help me understand myself better and show me how gloriously gracious you are by giving me a calling in my specific place and time and role right where I am. And we can do this together. This is our call together. God gives gifts to humanity and to his people. The Spirit enables us to discern our callings through self-examination and the confirmation of mentors, friends, co-laborers. And God will provide opportunities for you. Some of them may be in this very church to develop and exercise those gifts. And those gifts are given to you that you might glorify him and love your neighbor. You have a calling. Let's find it. Let's live it for his glory. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, would you lead us? Would you lead us? Where'er I be, whatever I do, still by your hand would you lead us. I pray for our brothers and sisters who are making decisions about their career, that you would give them wisdom to allow the community of faith to help pour into them, to affirm them, to encourage them in their discovery of their calling. Let them not live another person's life. Let them choose the career and the calling that you have uniquely given to them. And I pray that you'll help each of us to be so blessed as to have an occupation that complements our deep sense of calling. And for those of us who don't, I pray that you would give us opportunities to live out our callings away from work, professionally. And I pray that you might further align our deep sense of desire for how you've equipped us to align with what our employment asks of us. Would you be so kind as to do that? And help us to walk in obedience by understanding that you set our boundaries and habitations and you have placed us where you have to help us bloom where we're planted. And so help us as your people